FYI, and I don't mean fake news, this podcast contains huge spoilers. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 249 of the podcast that goes snicked. That's right, it's the penultimate episode before our big 250. That's exciting. Um, Anyway, we're going to take a break from our regularly scheduled um, fifth podiversary celebration this month um, to just do a very little bonus episode on a Generations Phoenix book that came out this week. You know, we'll catch up to all the uh, the party uh, with the next episode, you know, 250, and then rounding out the rest of the month with some more fun times. But, um, not that this won't be fun, but, um, yeah, it's going to be a very special Gene episode. <laughs> um, some of you will like that, some of you won't. Uh, there's really not you know, looking at the, the podcast bylaws, there's no no Wolverine appearance to speak of. Uh, a slight reference in the Jean Grey book, which I will also talk about very quickly. But, um, I mean, there's obviously the X-Men tie-in. And we've been talking about the Jean Grey solo book in our Resurrection episodes. And, I don't know, I just kind of felt like talking about it. Plus... I needed an episode to come out so I can put 250 out. <laughs> and I didn't have anything, so... <laughs> we're going to talk about Gene for a little bit. And not too long. This really will be a bonus episode. But um, before we can get to Generations, which really ties in quite nicely to the Solo series, uh, we're going to catch up on the Solo series and talk about Gene Grey number 5. Written by Dennis Hopeless. Art by Anthony Piper. Colors by J. David Ramos. Letters by V.C.'s Travis Lanham. And the cover is by David Yarden. And the cover is very, very nice, as they have been on this series. Just a stark white background. Uh, We have Jean meditating and Psylocke behind her, giving her some telepathic, telekinetic support. And then around her, just a very cool-looking design, um, have floating telekinetic katana blades making kind of a semicircle around the figures. It's a really nice layout. And while the title banner looks fine, of course, you have the stupid white triangle in the bottom corner, I would highly suggest, in fact, on any cover of this series, um, if you go to the Marvel Wiki stuff or if you have the app, you can look at the text twist. Text. Let me try that again. The text list version of the covers. I would highly recommend on a lot of books, but especially on this cover. Go check out the text list version. It's just white with the picture in it, and it's great. It looks great. Highly recommend it. Um, David Yarden. I wish he needs to find a book to draw some interiors on. Maybe he doesn't do that anymore. Um, but and that's fine because his covers are great. But I don't know, I'm just going to actually just do a book. Even a stylized book, like um, the new Nick Fury book. Now, I don't want him to do that one. I really like what's going on there. But it's not like he can do something like that. Anyway, I'm, that's neither here nor there. Great cover, that's what matters. 
So we pick up Jean Grey is still trying to figure out how she's going to beat the Phoenix in her inevitable confrontation. And after moving on from Odinson, she has come to visit Psylocke in Japan, who is trying to help her meditate to find a peaceful place. The whole idea uh, that Psylocke is the expert on telekinetic weapons, which, you know, you would argue uh, that Quentin Quire would kind of be the, the junior expert, but yeah, you want to go, go to the top, so you can go to Psylocke. Um, so they're, they're on a cliffside in some cherry blossoms meditating. Um, I really like the internal dialogue, as usual. Hopeless has really done the unimaginable and given a lot of depth to this character. Um, uh, she starts off with, Thor told me a warrior's greatest weapon is a short memory. Then he got even drunker and wouldn't shut up about missing his hammer. There was singing at one point. A lot of singing. Or no, loud singing. <laughs> anyway. And just funny. And just the 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 beat and the pace of this book is, is perfect. So Gene gets impatient. Uh, really good point about how for a lot of people maybe quiet helps the mind, you know, kind of turn off and shut down. But for her, the quiet turns her brain up. Like, it just kind of isolates all the kind of the telepathic, like, feedback and everything she hears and absorbs all the time that, that maybe quiet doesn't really help her. So she's like, I oh, forget it. It's not working. Then we see that Pickles is here. So we uh, always love to see Pickles. And he teleports them to Club Shred where there is a band, Jericho, um, playing some death metal. Not sure if that's a real band or not. I guess I could Google that, but maybe later. Um... Anyway, Jared Crow is there at Club Shred in Philly. Um, I wonder if it's in West Philadelphia, where I was born and raised, on the playground, where I spent most of my days relaxing, Max, and whatever. <laughs> um, turns out Shy- Shylock, Shylock, ooh, Shylock, that's when he doesn't feel so much like taking on the day. <laughs> Oh man, I I, <laughs> I need other people on this show to keep me from amusing myself so much. <laughs> but anyway, Shylock um, comes to the crowd. Turns out she's a big death metal fan. Really likes this Jericho band, or at least their first two albums. The new one, they get soft, <laughs> sell out. <laughs> oh, how many times have you heard that, right? But anyway, she says, "Well, maybe the noise will help. Let's go someplace really noisy. See if you can find your weapon." She gets in the mosh pit. She knocks some people over. Everyone cheers her on. Uh, even Pickles gets a little rock and puts his fist in the air. When they go to Plan C, they go to an underground cavern where there's some vampire mole people. Great art here. Um, the mole people look pretty gross. Um, so Jean, as she's not at first successful, but when she's r- literally about to be eaten, is able to pull out some a some telekinetic spikes or stakes, right, to stake the vampires, and she's she's doing it. She's going to town. Psylocke has to jump in with some real katana blade and behead some. And you know, Psylocke's like, "Well, that's great. Like at your most desperate time, you were able to pull out a weapon, but we'd rather you be able to kind of you know get a weapon whenever you want. So you can go to a fight prepared instead of waiting until you're about to get eaten." Um, so, you know, flight or fight, fine, but maybe not the best case scenario. So they go back to Madripoor, where Psylocke knows of a uh, hand resurrection pit. 
And she wants Gene to sneak in, plant some bombs, and going to blow the place up. But of course she runs into some hand ninjas. She's able to conjure up a caveman club. But then another voice comes in and is talking to her. We don't know who it is. Another mystery voice. So she fights her way through, um, is able to make an axe. There's even a great scene where she pulls out some telekinetic wolverine claws. And it's like, snick, snick, crimson jammies. <laughs> Maybe my best favorite panel of the book. Um, and, you know, uh, Pickles is up there eating on sushi on the rooftop with Psylocke. Well, Gene kind of goes to town, making new weapons. Is you know gets interrupted again by the new voice, falsely with ventilation duct, and lands in a pile of ninjas. And it's like, um, I may feel a little overwhelmed. So Psylocke's like, all right, teleport me down there. And she reads Pickle's mind or his thoughts are in little pictures, which I thought was really fantastic. Um, it's a pickle. A uh, Ghostbuster sign, a bamf, an arrow, a clock, and an apple, which is basically means pickles cannot take you to the ghost. Can't bamf until I've had enough time to refuel. <laughs> I just thought it was really clever. My second favorite panel, uh, just the little images. Um, but yeah, really great. Um, so anyway, Psylocke climbs down the ladder. We get a great page of her in action as she's cutting through some ninjas, finds Jean. And Jean's put down a bunch of ninjas. She has a telekinetic, um, what's that called? A sh- not a shuriken. Um, when you have like two pickaxes on the ends of a chain together, kind of like nunchucks and blades. I don't remember what it's called. Georgie would know. Uh, anyway, um, and she has a telekinetic sigh as well. So Raphael and the Ninja Turtle that doesn't exist yet. I think, uh, I think I decided that my fifth Ninja Turtle would be Caravaggio. And he'd have a yellow bandana. Um, or maybe a black one, because he's all in shadow, right? Um, anyway, maybe he would have these weapons. So, Raphael and Caravaggio. Um, anyway, she takes down a bunch of ninjas. They decide, you know what? Maybe we're making progress. But Psylocke's, and Psylocke blows up the building and says, but you might want to get that other voice checked out. You know, if it were me, I'd want to know who it was. So, Art. Pretty great. Um, Piper, really nice fill-in here for um, the regular art team. And, of course, the same colors, so that has a very disconsistent vibe that's been going with the book. Just looks really good. The story was really fun. Um, I'm still loving this book, amazingly. I'm going to give Jean Grey number five, five out of six claws. All right, that's going to take us to our main event for our bonus June episode. Um, and that's Generations the Phoenix number one. Written by Colin Bunn. Pencils by R.B. Silva. Uh, what does that stand for? Roast beef, like Arby's. I don't know. If I made that joke before, I apologize. That's not a recyclable joke. <laughs> that should be a one and done. So I should never do it again. And if I've done it before, shame on me. Um, anyway, Eat by Adriano Di Benedetto with Arby Silva. Colors by Rain Barreto. Letters by VCs Travis Lanham. And the cover is by Stephanie Hans. Um, there's a variant cover. You know what? I'm not sure which one. I, oh, yeah. Yeah, the Stephanie Hans one. Um, the one I saw in all the ads leading up to Generations was the Dodson's cover, 
which is also looks pretty nice. There's a picture of it on the it's on the title page. So we're two issues in on generations. Uh, the Hulk one came out last week. I think that was called the strongest. You know, this whole the strongest one there is, right? Um, and, and there's something that's referred to as the vanishing point. And we just kind of have a vague, like an instant apart, a moment beyond, loose from the shackles of past, present, and future, a place where time has no meaning, but where true insight can be gained. Then there's a weird part where it says, make your choice, select your destination, the journey is a gift. But none of these people get to choose where they go, so I don't know what that's about. At least not in the first two. Um, so really curious. I don't know if we'll ever get an answer to that. I don't know if Legacy... Uh, let's slow down. I don't know if Legacy is going to answer this question or not. I don't know if there's a force or a person behind the vanishing point. Like maybe some kind of cosmic entity that ties into the, the beginning of the Marvel Universe like we're going to see in the Legacy storyline. Um, you know, I, we've heard, at least in some press, that Generations is kind of like the lead-up to Legacy, right? So I would think there would be some kind of correlation. But as of right now, we have no explanation. It's just kind of one-off stories of characters coming to this vanishing point in this place that is real and not real, but then there's real consequences. Not, I mean, if it's not past, present, or future, if it's just in a bubble somewhere, then how can it affect the time stream? And this issue, at least, the Hulk one, maybe not so much, but this one for sure is like, no, there's ramifications. Now, maybe that's just a test. Maybe we'll, we'll get to that. Um, anyway, the Hulk one was fine it was pretty good um it's really all about i guess just moving the characters to a new place and so for the hulk i appreciate that because you know amadeus is having to confront the fact that yeah i've been able to control the hulk so far but maybe that's not going to be forever maybe there's still a darkness even to me right that i need to deal with so that's cool and for gene uh this stays just kind of in step with the solo series she's worried about the phoenix and suddenly she shows up doesn't know how she got here in this new world. Um, she knows it's tangible, it's physical, she can feel it, right? Like it starts off with like under my hand is stone, damp and gritty, real. Beneath my feet, sand solid enough. So she knows like it's a real place, and at least it feels very, very real. But she doesn't know where she is. She knows she's not where she was. And you know, it's weird because I don't know exactly at what point in kind of her Phoenix quest that she was pulled out of to this place. Um, it's weird because we just got issue five and then this came out and then, you know, the same week, right? <laughs> and then, um, but it says to be continued in Jean Grey number eight. So I don't know if this is supposed to wait till after seven. Uh, I guess we'll, we'll find out as it goes, but we have it now. So we're going to talk about it. But uh, anyway, she said she got whammy to who knows where, but she doesn't want to side scan anything because maybe it's a mental thing. So she's just going to kind of try to blend in. She finds a beach with full of people, a really cool looking beach with cliffs and caves. And yeah, I want to go there. Um, but doesn't want to draw attention to herself. So she throws out kind of a psychic blanket. Everyone sees her just in beach clothes. But people recognize her. She looks like that other redhead on the beach, but a little bit different. So she's like, oh, okay. Um, and she finds an older gene. Maybe not necessarily much older, but at least a little bit. Uh, we kind of get the idea this is right before the Dark Phoenix saga. So Jean is 
disappeared and presumed dead. Also thinks her friends are dead, right? If you remember that whole thing where everyone drowned and whatnot. Um, so she thinks her friends are dead. She thinks the X-Men are dead. But she sees herself, but she also sees the Phoenix. Um, and she sees all these memories. And, and she is kind of confronted with, this is the person I'm trying desperately not to become. The reason I don't want the Phoenix Force to find me, or at least to, to, to host it. She says, Jean Grey, the heart and soul of the X-Men, the all-powerful host of the Phoenix Force, the embodiment of both life and destruction, the only person capable of following so far and taking so much with her. Jean Grey, who died years ago, leaving the Phoenix free to hunt me. So yeah, the gene that, you know, she's scared of becoming, the gene that's in her nightmares every night. And, you know, she sees the phoenix, but it kind of disappears, and she sees Jean get hit on by um, a strange guy at the beach who has a snorkel mask and a, a Speedo. <laughs> but she's like, hey, you know, I'm reading this book, studying, rather be left alone. And they're like, all right, see you later. And um, But then she senses young Jean, and it's like, all right, come out, come out. <laughs> I see you, or, you know, I mentally see you. And so they kind of have a little standoff there. Um, young Jean kind of pokes at Phoenix Jean to make sure she's real solid. She is. And then she's kind of bored. They try to figure out, like, okay, why are you here? What's going on? Um, this has to be a reason. It has to mean something. Who sent you? And young Jean's like, I don't know, but I think I'm supposed to ask you about the Phoenix, which... Phoenix Jean just kind of glares at her, but young Jean just assumes if there's a reason I'm here and I'm on my Phoenix quest, right, then maybe the best person to ask to solve this problem is my past future self. <laughs> and say, you know, you can tell me about the Phoenix and then that can help me figure out how to kind of avoid it. And she's like, uh, no. We're not going to talk about it here. She kind of flaunts the Phoenix power, kind of packs everything up telekinetically, changes her clothes, kind of shows all her power. They go to this restaurant that she found that she loves and, you know, tries to read young Jean's mind. Young Jean can feel like the the psychic fingers tickling her brain. Um, and Jean, you know, plays with it. Should I just let her see it and see everything that, that I know about her? Um... But, you know, maybe I shouldn't. You know, should I tell her, you know, your friends are alive, but you're going to really put a wham number on them, right? And just a whammy from, from hell and really just not make it very nice. But anyway, uh, Jean, Phoenix Jean takes her to a club. They do some dance. Um, young Jean sees the guy from the beach, but she can see right through him. Sees in his mastermind. If you remember from the... um. The classic X-Men backup stories, and then even in the in the regular issues of Uncanny, right? There's this guy who is following Jean around and, you know, trying to win her over, Jason Wingard, right? But it's really just mastermind, but he puts on this kind of fake facade to try to appeal to Jean. And um, so that's kind of what's going on here. It's a nice little kind of reference and call back to the time period we're in. Um, and she's like, man, I got to tell myself what this guy's going to do, but he's going to really mess you up. But I don't, I don't know if I can. And before she gets a chance to, to say anything, Jean goes full Phoenix 
and takes young Jean into space and um, just really kind of shows off her power. And Jean's like, she's trying to, young Jean is like, she's trying to intimidate me. Um, that's the only explanation. Just to show me how helpless I am in the face of all this power. I can't control it. And they find a planet and they go to this planet. And it's interesting because we know, right? Part of the Dark Phoenix saga is that the Phoenix destroys an innocent planet, kills billions of people. But here she is to save it. And young Jean's like, what's wrong? Why are, they, why are these people running? All these people trying to escape. And it's because it's Galactus. And he has come at this point in time. Terex, or Terax is his uh, herald. And he's come to destroy and eat this planet. And these really cute little fluorescent aliens with green brains. They're like little tiny things with big heads and green brains. You can kind of see through them. Kind of gelatinous looking. Um, I really like the design. <laughs> it's kind of cool. And Phoenix kind of goes to town. She takes Terax out. And Terax is like, oh, Phoenix, I didn't know it was you. No one can stop Galactus. It's not maybe you. <laughs> and yeah, so Phoenix, Jean is really showing off her Phoenix power. Um, and she says, I am life, and life is not known for mercy, Terax. And she's going to kind of maybe kill Terax, but Galactus intervenes and says, I know your power. I recognize it. I'm aware of you. I don't mean, that doesn't mean you can do whatever you want to me because I still have the cosmic power and I'll eat whatever plants I want. And she goes after Phoenix Jean and kind of gets the upper hand. Galactus looks like he's going to win here, but young Jean uses her new power where she can take a psychic residue around her and beef up her telekinetic powers. And she does that, even takes a little bit of the Phoenix Force and just really gives Galactus a whammy, punches him right in the back of the head, um, and really great double-page spread, knocks Galactus down, not out, because it's Galactus, but knocks him down, and Terex is like, oh, you're going to get it now, oh, wait, no, all right, we're going to leave, Galactus respects your, uh, your ballsiness, and we're going to take off, but you never interfere with him again, and you're donezo, and uh, Phoenix Jean's like, all right, good move. Guess two Phoenixes were too much for him. And so you have to understand, right? And she kind of makes a Phoenix sales pitch. Like she knows. Like this, maybe the Phoenix Force knows. Maybe Jean, as Phoenix, doesn't know. But the Phoenix Force is like, so you get it? I saved things. Right? I'm not all bad. Just, you know, let me in next time we see each other. It'll be groovy. We'll go save planets together. And... And young Jean's not really having it. She's like, well, I, yeah, you do, but I know what this does. I know where it goes. I know what this does. It turns into something dark and corrupting and it doesn't, you know, Phoenix is life, but it's also death. And it has both, right? And right now you're in the life cycle, but it, it won't stay that way forever. And if I let you in, I have to deal with both the life and the destruction. And I don't want that. And... um and so then she wonders, well, maybe I'm not here to learn about the Phoenix. Maybe I'm here to save myself or my past future self, right? And to tell her what the Phoenix Force does, what it does to her, what it does to her friends, how it ends in her first death. Um, you know, maybe that's what I got to do. And, and she's thinking about it. She's really wondering, but she feels a present and it's the Watcher. And the watcher's like, all right, hey, I only observe these like really important times. This is where it gets kind of weird. Because if we're in a place with no time, 
then it should be kind of carved out of the t- normal time stream, right? But Galactus, or I'm sorry, Watcher's like, whatever you decide here, and I can't tell you what to do, I just want to tell you it's going to change everything. Right? Um, and she's like, okay, no pressure. <laughs> so if I say something now, I can avert one of the greatest tragedies in X history, save countless lives. Uh, <laughs> like this, do I tell her she's being stalked by a psychopathic perv? Do I tell her that he's going to mess with her mind to make her hurt her friends and unlock something horrible deep inside her and give so much pain and suffering to the whole universe? If I do, maybe she can prevent her descent into darkness. Maybe she defeats the phoenix and maybe I don't ever have to face it in my timeline, right? But what would it change? And that, I like that she thinks about it, right? She really weighs the, the, the repercussions and the balance. And not even knowing what the change would be, but knowing that there would be one, and what would it be better, worse? I, I don't know. I mean, I guess she could read the what-if issue. <laughs> but, um, but she's like, no, I, I can't tell you. And even Phoenix Jean asks, like, tell, re, tell, I know you're from a different time. Tell me about it. And she's like, no, I, I can't. And she asked the Watcher, did I make the right choice? And the Watcher says, well, you know what? I don't know. But you've been wanting to be in control, and you just took control. You made a decision and went with it, and you're in control. And then she fades away, and Phoenix and Jean goes full Phoenix again and says, that's not right, little Jean. We'll meet again, and flies away. Um, So the art by R.B. Silva, you know, I've liked him a lot in the past in his most recent X-Runs. There's been really good panels kind of mixed with some sloppiness. I feel like maybe this is what he's really been working on. Like, for the most part, there's still some of the the imminent light that Georgie talks about that is evident from time to time. And overall, I thought the art in this book was, was pretty good. Of course, never hurts to have Mr. Rain Burrito on the colors because he's such a good colorist. Uh, really makes the book pop. Um, knows when to have color, when to have kind of stark just either minimal or all white, even sometimes backgrounds, and mixes it up, and it really works. Um, just great. It's a great-looking book. And, you know, the story, and I know Bun and Hopeless, you know, Bun's riding young Jean, or I guess just we'll call her just Jean, and X-Men Blue, and, and Hopeless is doing the solo series, but if nothing else, it feels like they at least communicate with each other about what they want to do in both books. And this story really ties in well to both um i just i really enjoyed it um it's weird kind of have some gene love right now which is very very strange because i'm normally not a big fan but you know some good writers are doing some different explorations with their character and i'm digging it i'm gonna give generations of phoenix number one um you know, it's hard to know exactly what the repercussions are going to be, but it felt kind of important. I don't know if it'll turn out to be important or not, and that, you know, if it doesn't, that might take away from it a little bit, but on initial read-through, just where we are right now, and knowing what may or may not come, just judging on the present, I I really enjoyed it. I think I'm going to give Generations of Phoenix number one, oh, man, right, it's either a really high four or a really low five. Um, you know what? 
I'll be consistent. I'll just give both these books five out of six claws. Yep, that's what I'm going to do. All right, so that's it. That's our bonus Gene episode. Hope you enjoyed it. Um, next up, of course, will be episode 250 and the X-Men Origins Wolverine movie, for better or worse. <laughs> and then after that, we'll continue to end August with some fifth anniversary uh, episodes, just kind of celebrate the, the month of the podcast birthday and five years and all that good stuff. So, as usual, like the Facebook page. Uh, Twitter is at SnickCast. The website with show notes is SnickCast.Podbean.com. And that's going to do it. All right. Hope you didn't mind the, the detour for the bonus episode. But um, anyway, if you liked it, great. If you didn't, let's hug it out. So, hugs and snicks. <laughs> Bye-bye. And snacked.